0: What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Coming to you live from Northern California and special guest on the phone, Ryan from Las Vegas, Nevada. How's it going, Ryan? It's going pretty good. You know, something huge must have happened if we're getting on the show together. Something huge or something uh, must be percolating in the water. And we definitely have breaking news into the sports card radio news desk at this hour. We have a report from Bloomberg saying none other than the Topps Company is for sale. And that is not only the maker of baseball cards, but also the very ever popular Ring Pop. And bazooka gum. I know you've got a couple ring pops and bazooka uh, gum pouches uh, at, at the ready for you, or anytime you're on the strip there in Las Vegas, right? Absolutely, you gotta have those,
1: uh, you know, stacked up and packed because you never know who's gonna come by the pad on the strip. So always gotta have the bazooka gum and the ring pops.
0: <laughs> that that is a lady, sure a lady pleaser. Nothing like a little ring pop and some bazooka Joe. But hey, now this isn't the first time. We have speculated or reported on this program that tops is for sale, and it is a slow, arduous process. This isn't like selling, uh, you know, your Trevor story cards that aren't moving to go buy some Aaron Judge cards. to movie's now selling your Aaron Judge cards to go buy the, what was it, Otani or whatever his name is for the Angels, Selling a baseball card company is not always the easiest thing to do, especially even in a roaring bull market uh, when you have lots of options and lots of other investments that have uh, ripped up the carpet and ripped up the chart over the last 10 years. Baseball cards, as you will discover, isn't necessarily one of those investments, but... Not to downplay the news of the day, I'll let Ryan. Why don't you go ahead and summarize kind of what's going on, and then we'll get into the meat of the article and, and discuss it.
1: Well, news broke this afternoon on Bloomberg that indeed, uh, apparently, Tops was being shopped for sale. And uh, do you have the article up yourself? I do have the ar- I do have the article up right here. And why don't we just um, so get that, into it? Yeah, um, why don't you go ahead and read the read at least. It's very brief and very short. Very and, uh, brief it's and all very we got. short. Yeah, it's all we got. There wasn't like any kind of subsequent report. Um, it was just a Bloomberg uh, report. So why don't you talk a little bit about the article?
0: And this article was published March 5th, 2018, at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So it is coming across breaking news here at the Sports Card Radio News Desk. Uh, this is written by... Uh, gosh, Keel or Kyle Porter. And uh, the private equity owners of Topps Company are weighing a sale of the baseball card maker, people with knowledge of the matter said. And let's just pump the brakes right there. People knowledge of tops being for sale. is only going to be a handful of people. We're talking about the owners of tops which we'll discuss in a minute, 75% Madison-Dearborn Partners, which is a private equity group, I believe, out of Chicago or Illinois. And the 25% ownership is the Tornate Company owned by former Disney CEO Michael Eisner. These are the only two groups of people they're going to know that are thinking Top. We're weighing a to- a, weighing a sale of tops. When you're thinking about selling your Aaron Judge cards, does your neighbor know? Does your coworker know? Does your mom know? No. Only you know that you're weighing a sale of your Aaron Judge cards. And the same goes for tops. Michael Eisner's Tornade Group's going to know that they're for sale or they're weighing a sale. Folks at Madison Dearborn Partners going to know. And the bankers that they're discussing are going to know. So let's continue. Madison Dearborn Partners and the Tornate Company, the private investment firm of former Disney CEO Michael Eisner are speaking with bankers about strategic options for the company. Said the people who asked not to be identified because they weren't authorized to speak publicly. Let's break that down. So we've got Bankers, Eisner, and two investment arms, private equity firms essentially, that own a private company. And they're seeking strategic, uh, uh, strategic, strategic options to sell the company. And they don't want to be identified. That's because they work for one of those three or four entities that are going to be involved in the sale. So we know this Bloomberg piece is not, we know, first of all, we know investigative journalism is dead. There are a million stories you could write about Donald Trump. There's a million stories you could be writing about Hillary Clinton or the deep state or congressmen or all the laws that should be changed. Guess what? The news media is not doing any of them. So if they're not taking those stories, you know there's not some Bloomberg reporter on the beat. This guy, uh, Keel Porter, he's not going to be on the beat uh, trying to find the the next little $400 million company that's for sale. So this article was basically published and placed into Bloomberg. It's not really necessarily advertorial, but this article is basically fed to Bloomberg because... The kind of people that read Bloomberg might be interested in buying a candy maker and or a card company. So let's continue. The most likely option to be pursued is splitting the company's card and candy business. So you think that some low-level guy or some blogger is going to know this information? (laughs) No, this is all coming from Madison Dearborn Partners, Michael Eisner's uh, desk, uh, either directly from them or from the bank that they're working with, who has authorization to put this information out there to potential investors who, oh, guess what? Read Bloomberg. So let me start this, let me start this paragraph before I break in here. Let me start this paragraph and kind of read it into conclusion. This is the key and probably one of the last paragraphs or le- read of the article. This is the key piece of the article and we will dissect this part of the article the most. The most likely option is to be pursued is splitting the company's card and candy businesses with the latter, the candy business, Contributes most of its $40 million of earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, otherwise known as EBITDA or EBITDA. Being sold first in reference to the candy business, the people said, Michael Eisner or Madison Dearborn Partners The total value of the company is about 400 million. So they tell you how much it's worth right there, or how much they they'd snap except for the a final decision hasn't been made, and the groups could elect to keep the business. So let's start at the top. We've got a report in Bloomberg, a publication read by investors. The most likely option to be pursued is splitting the company's business into two. That is, Ryan, who would know uh, about you know not only selling the company, but, oh, we're going to split the businesses in two. Name the kind of people that would likely know that information.
1: I, I would think a lot of the card fondlers who are out there buying tops cards, they don't even know that it's two distinctly separate businesses over there, a candy and a card business. Exactly. So, I mean, the only people that are going to know are the principals in the room, the board, the bank, and maybe any other principals who have gotten pretty deep in the process of maybe potentially making a purchase.
0: And who would reveal uh, of a private company that most of its earnings, $40 million, and we'll talk in a minute whether that's fake news or not or an exaggeration, or kind of a placed number, a conveniently placed number in a Bloomberg article, who would know about a $40 million earnings on a private company that doesn't report its financials to uh, the public?
1: Right, we're literally talking about, what, five to ten people, maybe at most, who are keeping track of the kind of the day-to-day at tops, if you're not counting the employees. I mean the people of Madison Dearborn, Michael Eisner, who if you don't know who that is, the former CEO at Disney, uh, you know, big shot, kind of in the media and entertainment world. Um, he's twenty five percent owner of Tops, his company, al- along with Tor- Tornante or Tornante. They so own. I, 25- I always say Tornate. I have no idea. Tornate. Okay, they own twenty five percent, in the Madison Dearborn partners. So oh, no, it is at torn, Lashchuk- torn
0: torn Tornante or something.
1: Okay. So, Eisner basically owns 25%. Dearborn, a private equity group, very large private equity equity group, owns 75%. Again, like you said, this is a private company we don't really know. So, when these numbers, as you said, do get shared to a publication, a respectable publication, such as Bloomberg, you know these are coming from Dearborn, Eisner, the bank, some principal, uh, or some other principal who is pretty far along in the uh, sniffing out process, due diligence process, if you will, of TOPS. So um, all of this, you know, just reeks of, uh, you know, Bloomberg's a New York company, Eisner's uh, kind of a New York guy, TOPS is obviously a New York company, a couple of the other players involved might be a New York thing, so this is just kind of a, a thing brewing around the offices there in Manhattan, so it uh, must be exciting time. Uh, down there to be doing some business.
0: I can imagine that. And one other little detail within this paragraph was it said the candy business, which contributes most of the forty million dollars in earnings, is be, is likely being sold first. So that's inc- to me, that's incredible detail that the company is being sold. This is the business model. This is the business unit that makes, $40 million. And if we split these up, we're going to sell the candy business first. And the entire company is worth $400 million. So that's a lot of information. And not information that I could see maybe a Tops employee or someone maybe giving, you know, wanting to give a little bit of this information up. But they wouldn't know all these details unless, like you said, they were a key principal within the room that had a large financial stake in this deal going one or both of these uh, business units being sold. So – well. And I don't know
1: the reputation of the guy who wrote the story, but chances are he might have even, like, cross-checked this with maybe at least two people. He may not even have taken the word of one person unless it was, like, somebody super high up, like an Eisner or somebody at Dearborn. Then, of course, you you know, you might take their word uh, without cross-checking with somebody else. But who knows what the level of kind of reporting Here was with this. But like you said, it could have been just a fluff piece. I mean, anybody who watches Bloomberg, a lot of those are just kind of uh, paid advertisements, the stories that get get recycled throughout the day over on Bloomberg on the TV station. So um, the news kind of channel can work very much the same way. Again, this guy, like you said, wasn't out you know, like on, a, on the Hillary Clinton probe or the email probe or the tr- uh, Trump-Russia probe. I mean, this guy got fed this story by hanging out in New York and probably had some connections one way or the other, and uh, that's how this story uh, came about. So I think people should keep that in mind. I think that's a key point that we're making is how did this story even come about? And like you said, there's only a very small handful of people who would know
0: the level of details in the story. Absolutely. And I think why, why we're on that, that segment, it's let's dive a little bit deeper into these numbers. I want to first is, are these numbers accurate? I think that's a fair question to ask. Is the candy business legitimately making 40 million? Is that even possible? $40 million gross. Is the entire company worth, $400 four hundred million dollars. I think those are good questions to ask. And with tops, I mean with a company like Panini, company like Upper Deck, we, might, we have very little, little, little information to go on, so whatever gets reported on them, you almost have to take it at face value. But with Topps, they were a public company and reporting public numbers Not you know, 10, you know, 10, 11 years ago. So there's some facts we can go on based on numbers 10 years ago. And yes, the new card market has changed considerably. Over that span of time, Topps does not make basketball cards anymore. Topps does not make football cards and I know uh, not making football cards was a significant hit because it was mentioned in some credit rating reports uh, as being one of the main drivers to uh, it being a risky business, that their revenue was going to drop because of this one license that, uh, that went the other way, went to Panini. So according to Moody's, which is a credit rating agency, Topps had $431 million worth of sales in 2016. So not even, you know, barely over a full year ago. So you might be sitting there thinking, wow, they had $431 million worth of sales as a company. And the company wants, they would snap accept $400 million because it says that in a Bloomberg article. But pump the brakes tops does have a 165 million dollars worth of debt on the balance sheet so you almost um, minus that off uh, whatever sales there are and we get down to a closer value of what they are kind of from a a net kind of a net top line kind of perspective tops did pay a 24 million dollar dividend so this is very convenient Um, The Michael Eisner's group and the Madison Dearborn Partners received a $24 million dividend sometime around 2015 and 2016. So that's quite a chunk of change considering they paid reportedly $380 million for the company. The company did have about $80 million in cash, so the actual sales price was closer to $300 million uh, after you took out the cash balance. So that was back in 2007. Now conveniently we have 2007 financials, full year financials um, for Tops available to us because they were a public company. Now Ryan, 431 million dollars in sales Tops reported in 2016. What do you think their total sales were all the way back 10, 11 years ago back Full year, March two thousand seven. Well,
1: boy, that's taking it way back. I mean, we even had—I mean, this is how far back this goes.
0: We even had a card shop uh, at that point. That is a true story. Yes, Um, with far less sales than than uh, you know, probably four or five days of tops. Right. (laughs) I, if I were to guess,
1: I would think because the business sold back then for 385 million. And in this Bloomberg article, you know, in air quotes, the company's worth 400 million. I would assume the sales have got to be about the same, maybe as they were. Uh, what, when's your last numbers from Moody's 2016,
0: 2016 full year,
1: 2016 full year compared to 27, 2007. I'm going to say they're about the same.
0: Very close. Um, total sales from the confectionery and the sports and entertainment business was $326 million um, for the full year, 2007. So um, again, the company sold that year for $385 million, but they had uh, 80 million in cash. So it was closer to a $300 million uh, sale price. So they got about one times Essentially, one times their sales um, as a, as a unit back in two thousand and seven, and so Tops is um, probably stretched the valuation a little bit if you factor in the debt that they have. They might have a little bit of cash on the balance sheet too, which w- would offset the debt that they have. Um, but they're, they're essentially Tops is valuing their business very similar to what they paid for it 10, 11 years ago. Now some interesting numbers back in two thousand and seven. The business models were essentially, it was almost 50-50. It was almost exactly 50% of the sales coming from candy and about 50% coming from just sports cards. Now, they did have um, some non sports stuff, entertainment products, products they still make today. Star Wars, um, Walking Dead, I think, is a product they they manufacture. Garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail Kids. Things like this. Um back then it was a forty about a forty fifty million dollar business, but the sports was between a hundred and a hundred and forty million dollar business that's quite a bit of sales now um as you as you work through the numbers back in two thousand and seven, we get to an interesting point where tops broke out essentially it was essentially oiBda, which is an OB uh operating profit before interest depreciation interest and taxes but that's very close to EBITDA um so they actually broke that out for both the confectionery and the sports cards again this is back in 2007 the entertainment products which includes the sports cards grossed. $23 million. And the candy did the exact same thing. So to me, that t- that tells me back in 2007, the candy business and the car business were almost identical in terms of the amount of sales they generated and in terms of uh, the bottom line uh, profit that they generated. Almost identical business. And Over the last 10, 11 years, I know a lot of things have changed in licensing. I know a lot of things probably have changed in the cane sugar prices and and, uh, logistics and stuff like that. But I can imagine that both businesses have been impacted both positively and negatively about the same over the past 10 years. So that brings me to my point that in this Bloomberg article... I what smelt a little fishy, and was later confirmed by another inside source that we have uh, unnamed, unconfirmed, anonymous source that we have confirming with Sports Car Radio that this forty million dollar number that Tops claims all comes almost all comes from candy, and I gotta say I gotta assume when when a article like this says almost all or most of the profit comes from the candy business, they got to mean 70, 80%. Okay, if it was 50, 60%, that's close to half and half. So it's got to be north of 70, 80, 90% profit when they're talking about this $40 million. To me, that starts to stink. when you look 10 years ago, both the card business and the candy business were generating the exact same top line number and the exact same bottom line bottom line number in terms of gross profit. And the other information we have again an unnamed anonymous source confirmed that over the last couple of years Tops EBITDA which is being reported as close to below 10 essentially below 10 million in the this Bloomberg article Again, an unnamed but highly um, qualified source put the EBITDA at TOPS over the last couple of years to $23 to $33 million. So either the Bloomberg article is mistaken, it's got the wrong numbers, it was fed the wrong numbers. My source could be wrong, but my source's numbers kind of corroborate with what we know about TOPS's payments to the MLB. So I know this is kind of, we're kind of getting into the weeds of valuation and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll take a turn around this valuation talk in a second and get to talking about what all this means for you as a card collector, who might buy this company, how things might change. But let me finish my point. We know that the MLB, tops pays the MLB every year. And this number is reported by law. And over the last several years since Topps has had an exclusive, the payment has been around $10 million, $10 to $11 million. And we also have to assume that the, that includes a royalty payment of roughly 10%. So that means Topps still has to be doing, on the top line of their business, and we're talking about Topps the baseball cards, not the candy, they still have to be doing north of $120, $130 million in the sports business, which would put them in line with what they were doing in 2007, which would also mean that their gross profit margin would likely be in line with what it was in 2007. So that means to me this Bloomberg article is a puff piece. It is a puff piece for either, for both Madison Dearborn partners and Michael Eisner, okay? Because here's, here's where it, it starts to get interesting for you guys, folks. So who's going to buy tops? I think the number one guy that could buy tops is Michael Eisner himself. He could either fork over the money himself He'd probably have to sell maybe some of the leftover Disney shares. I'm sure he's he's been awarded over the years. He might have to sell one of his beach houses in the Hamptons, but I'm sure he personally could come up with the funds. He could also get his group to put up the rest of this funds. Personally, I think it would be interesting if Michael Eisner personally bought T.O.P.S. And if Michael Eisner wants to buy T.O.P.S., Guess what? The best way to do guess what? The best way to do that, it's probably to make the baseball card company look like a lemon. Look like it doesn't make any money, because then nobody would be bidding for it. He wouldn't have any competition. He already has a leg up because he owns 25% of it, and he has a close relationship with the person, Madison Dearborn Partners, or the Principal Group, that owns the other 75%. So it's in Michael Eisner's best interest to make Topps baseball card look like it's a lemon, like it's not a very attractive business. And also coming into the sports card radio news desk at this hour from an unnamed anonymous source, Michael Eisner would be very, very excited about buying Topps Baseball Card Company. It is a company I think he views more as kind of a, um, I, I don't know how to put it, I guess more of a passion business than one that he's looking to put his uh, children through college or pay alimony to whatever ex-wife he might have. More of a passion business Something driven more of his love for sports, love for baseball, love for baseball cards than anything. So personally, I'll give you my take on this Bloomberg piece. I personally think the majority of this article is coming from Michael Eisner's camp because Michael Eisner wants to make it look like the candy business is awesome, that the candy business is for sale. The candy business is the first thing to go. So if you want the candy business, call, call us up. Here's, here's what it grosses, $40 million. Here's what we think the whole company is worth. You can do your back-of-the-napkin calculation at that point and figure out exactly how much they want for just the candy business because they told you how much it earns. They told you how much they want for the entire company, and they told you it's for sale. And it's in Michael Eisner's best interest to make it look like the cards don't make any money, which I don't think is true. I actually think that the card business, while it hasn't flourished or skyrocketed like a lot of other stocks and other investments over the last 10, 11 years, including just a general S&P 500 fund, which has got to be up north of 250, 300 percent at this point. Michael Eisner just put his money in a Joe Blow mo- mutual fund, he'd have enough to buy Tops, Upper Deck, and Panini, and maybe an MLB team if he knew what he was doing. But instead, he bought a baseball card company and a candy maker literally about six months before one of the biggest financial crises uh, ever. And he could have he bought both of them f- uh, off the scrap heat uh, s- six, seven, eight months later and said they paid 1x sales uh, north of $300 million. So I've talked for a little while. I don't know anything in there. Uh, catch, catch your interest, Ryan. No,
1: well, I think, I think we're on the right track here. Cause again, you have to think about why a story like this comes out tops. Isn't a public company tops. Isn't, uh, you know, a, believe it or not a really well-known company. So, you know, something like this hits in Bloomberg, you know where it's coming from, that it's got to be coming from Dearborn, Eisner, or some other kind of principal at play. And, I, I, you know, like you said, we're kind of getting in the weeds evaluation, but we do see every year what the payments, the royalty payments to Major League Baseball Players Association is. And, again, that has been, like you said, fairly steady. Um, for the last number of years you know fluctuates in between like eight to twelve million and if, if you're if if you're calculating a ten percent royalty that would put tops's baseball card sales in about the hundred million dollar range and i don't think you know it certainly wouldn't shock me if that's what the the the, the number that they're doing certain years maybe you do a little more maybe a, a hot rookie class or they sell more product um, and then maybe certain years you don't sell as much but I think it's very interesting. What do you want to do now? Do you want to break down? We talked about the scenario that Eisner, who currently owns 25% of the company, might be trying to... Push the candy business out the door so then he can get kind of a, a sweetheart deal from his buddies over at Dearborn to sell him the rest of the card business on the cheap, and then he can kind of caretake that. Uh, Eisner actually, actually recently bought a, like a soccer team in, in Europe too, so he's involved in soccer and, and stuff. So, um, you know, a guy who has, again, been involved with TOP since 07, maybe more as a minority. Kind of, uh, at least in terms of ownership. So, if he took full ownership of it, maybe maybe he would have more interest or, or put more of his fingerprints on the company. But do we want to talk about some of the other potential players involved here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, for me, I really think Eisner is the most likely, the most logical uh, option, or the lo- most logical partner for everybody involved. It keeps an owner stru- ownership structure that is there. He might look at it like you said. He's a 25% owner. Imagine if he had 25%. Uh, you know, if you had 25% of any business, you basically have no say. Uh, and I'm sure he's been given more latitude uh, within within this business, bit based on his connection and based on how Dearborn Partners is not really in the business of. Of running businesses or really caretaking them at all, really, they're just interested in kind of the dividends and the cash flow that that the business that they acquire uh, generate. But I think he, to me, he makes the most logical um, scenario, and just based on how these numbers were fled uh, fed to Bloomberg, and I had one source again, an anonymous, unnamed source, but who is credible? Um, we could say he's, quote, unquote, inside the White House, uh, said that the numbers were fake news. And, it, uh, you know, upon looking at the numbers at 2007, kind of extrapolating uh, the payments that Topps makes uh, these days for baseball cards, assuming that they they make, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of money on some of this digital stuff. It does mention in Moody's that uh, that has been a growth area for them. Digital um, ha- has been fairly strong for them and could offset, I think, the 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 language that was used, that digital uh, was kind of uh, partially offsetting the loss of a football license. So I think we got to assume that, that the candy business, while maybe, it, it actually doesn't even make sense. I won't get too into the weeds and start talking about the candy valuation, but it really doesn't make sense. Looking back at 2007 numbers, it doesn't make sense that the candy business went from grossing 20 million back then to now 40. That doesn't make sense, considering the whole business really hasn't grown its sales more than about, the, the business has grown its sales 20, 30%, and Tops is claiming uh, they've doubled the gross margins on the candy business. Uh, that, to me, without knowing the candy business that great, but being a, uh, you know a connoisseur of Tootsie Rolls, Neckos, Snickers bars, Reese's, uh, especially the little candy eggs one, uh, the, the seasonal ones, the trees and the eggs, the candy business is, hasn't doubled over the last 10 years. If anything, it's gone down as people are uh, more conscious about what they're eating. So none of the, to me, none of this article really makes sense other than the fact that somebody's trying to get this candy business out the door, trying to drum up interest, and oh, guess who would want to do that? probably Michael Eisner who wants to sit there and just own a baseball card company and fondle baseball cards literally Michael Eisner doesn't want to fondle ring pops and bazooka candy he wants to sit around, fondle baseball cards probably rub shoulders with these guys he probably wanted to be a baseball player himself and that's all he wants to do he doesn't care about candy so he wants to get that out the door make tops. Look like it's his loser business, and he comes in there and swoops up the the maybe a maybe not a seventy five percent of it, but he's able to scoop up sixty seventy percent of it and run it as a passion business, which I really think would be an awesome outcome, considering some of the other alternatives, which we'll talk about now. But to me, having Michael Eisner come in, swoop it in as kind of like I am a billionaire. I don't know if he's a billionaire or just a multi-hundred millionaire. I'm not really exactly sure. I can imagine being a former CEO. You're probably doing all right. And if you're buying soccer teams and jet setting around the world, you're probably doing okay. I think having somebody like that run it as like a pet project would be better than some of the other people. And maybe you can uh, uh, talk about some of the other people you think might be interested in this uh, card company.
1: We do have a wild card. Involved. Known wildcard. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. He goes by Gary V on YouTube. Fairly popular YouTube channel, over 1.1 million subscribers. And back in February, he actually had a video that entitled "How I Learned Sales and Marketing as a Teenager," basically crediting crediting his entire multi-million-dollar business to baseball cards and learning how to business through buying and selling baseball cards. Looks like a U.S. immigrant, uh, maybe from the '80s, I guess, and uh, kind of has built up this kind of media. Um, Motivational speaking, and again, he has over a million subscribers on YouTube, which he kind of does these like personal vlogs and motivational kind of stuff. And but he took you into a meeting that he was having with one of the founders of Tops, an old Shoren, uh guy who was owner of Tops uh, when it sold actually to Dearborn and Eisner back in two thousand seven. And he recounted a story how he was on the phone, I guess, somebody, with somebody at top saying how, wow, things were kind of moving fast. And I couldn't afford, when, it, when he moved to the U.S. in 1983, he couldn't afford packs of 1983 tops. But here he was on the phone all these years later. But, and his, this, is a, this, is how, this is his description in his video that he published February 11th. It's crazy to me that I came to the U.S. and could barely afford a pack of tops, and now I'm close to being able to buy the whole thing, dot, dot, dot. Selling baseball cards is how I built my skill set as a salesman and a marketer from a super young age. So this is a huge tops fanboy. And somebody who uh, looks like maybe he either, he either currently collects or certainly is uh, passionate about the business. He's a little bit of a wild card because you literally maybe would get late night drunken uh, vlogs from the tops offices <laughs> in New Yorks. Uh, this is a New York guy. My personal preference is that this is the guy who ends up with it because for entertainment value alone, this guy could be worth his uh, weight in gold. Now I had some people who do actually follow his videos and are kind of uh kind of followed his career and they say that he you know this is a guy who's you know would turn it around he's turned around to other businesses he kind of has a nostalgia streak in him that and and top certainly fits well with it with that and again he credits his entire business career to selling uh Uh, learning how to sell baseball cards at shows kind of as a teenager and kind of working his way up. So, and you know, we, we can kind of relate to that as well a little bit. So certainly a little bit of a wild card. Again, it's crazy that he mentioned this on a YouTube video back on February eleventh. And there's the guy, an owner from Tops, you know, past owner from Tops sitting there. Maybe he's doing consulting. Maybe they're talking about the business. Who knows what's really going on and what's been really happening. But that was over a month ago. And now again, we now we have a, a story leak in Bloomberg with some more information there. So we have two known, certainly potential suitors. Eisner, again, you have an unnamed source there that that uh, potentially links Eisner to wanting to pick up you know the remaining shares that he doesn't have the 75% possibly picking that in some form or fashion we have this other wild card Gary V now I guess there's a scenario where they could work together Uh, certainly I could see that Eisner being a little older and maybe he's looking for kind of a, a point guy kind of a lead guy and and certainly Eisner has way more money than this Gary V guy uh, Eisner at one point in the nineties made like $200 million through options and salary through Disney. And I mean, in the nineties, you made $200 million. I mean, this guy straight cashed out and he probably still has, you know, a ton of Disney shares. I mean, Eisner's set for life. If you follow his Twitter stream, sometimes he'll do like shots of him on his house in Malibu or wherever. And it's just like, okay, yeah, he's, uh, he's not hurting. Uh, tops isn't hurting either. Cause, uh, yeah, trust me, these guys, Eisner's not hurting for money. Gary V probably is not hurting for money, is not hurting for money, but he certainly doesn't have as much money, I I think, as Eisner. Now they both could have uh, uh, probably access to as much money as they would need, and certainly enough money to buy tops. Um, and I guess I could see a scenario where they work together. They might know each other, being kind of sharing the same space. But so those are two known guys. But let me throw. Why don't I throw a little wild card at you? What if panini america who fucking seemingly comes out of money fucking out of nowhere to re-up with the nfl re-up with the nba i mean i don't know where all this money's coming from but it it, it, maybe from fifa or some kind of corrupt agency over over in europe but what if panini you know pulled a hundred million out of their ass and and bought tops what do you see that as a as a likely scenario or could you put a number on on that uh, that scenario happening Um, in
0: terms of a number, I would say I'd only give that, uh, for me right now, like a 30, 20 to 30% probability where you were getting, um, quite a bit, uh, four to five to one, I would guess on some kind of odds of that happening. Uh, number one, I don't think Panini has the money. Uh, I, I don't think they have the, that kind of cash or the ability to tap into that kind of cash, because they've been tapping the bank. They've been tapping the bank to pay the NFL. They've been tapping the bank to um, pay the NBA and get, get Mickey Mantle license. And not that that's multi millions of dollars, but um, they've been tapping the bank. And uh, just based on what I've seen loosely of their financials, I, uh, I don't know. Also, you've got a question at that point, I don't know how uh, active Trump, Donald Trump's team, whatever. I think I believe the SFTC looks into this kind of stuff. But if Panini buys Tops, Upper Deck, or one of these other companies, could make a very valid claim that that sale should be blocked because of anti-competitive uh, purposes. And I believe uh, companies made that argument back when Upper Deck tried to buy tops back in 2007. I believe uh, somebody um, made that argument that that would be an anti-competitive thing and that might be a sale that ultimately was blocked that wouldn't be allowed to happen. Now, I don't know if the baseball card business is big enough to warrant that kind of attention, but I can imagine if it was 10 years ago, it probably is today. And... um, If Panini had, uh, you know, wise counsel and wise legal uh, team on board, they'd probably uh, make them aware of that, that, yes, you could buy tops if you had the money, but you might also pay $10 million in legal fees over the next four years uh, to protect the the purchase. And whether or not you'd want to do that in a country that you're not even based in, um, they might uh, decide that's not a route they want to go down. That'd be my only thoughts about panini coming in while I, you know like you said, they might you know take a fart and a couple hundred million dollars far fall out somehow some way, but pulling that off, I think might be a little more complicated than Michael Eisner buying seventy five percent or like you said, this other guy coming in and and saying, uh, here's another theory that that while you were talking, I was thinking. Another theory could be the baseball card business is already sold. And so now the, the, the way to get the, to close the deal is to sell the candy business. And what better way to sell the candy business but to publish a puff piece where you puff up the valuation and you puff up the gross margin and the, the, the gross income of a candy business and say, oh, yeah, we'll sell this to you. Here's how much. And that's basically what they did in a Bloomberg piece. So maybe Eisner, this other guy, a combination of somebody else, has already essentially agreed to purchase tops. Because basically this article, when I read it, it basically takes a shit on the baseball card business. It basically says, oh, yeah, you probably know this company by the baseball card business. They earn 40 million of earnings, but it's the latter which contributes most of it, which has got to be again when when you're talking about financials 50-50 would not be most 60-40 would not I would not use the word most it'd be like 70% or more so that's basically saying that the the card business barely grosses 10 million dollars i mean that that's nothing that's like no money that means tops is worth you know there's some athletes that probably could buy it There's athletes making more in one year than what TOPS is worth as an entire company, but that's why I don't think these numbers are correct. So it's it's an effort to maybe for I really I think there's a lot of scenarios that make sense to me. The first one is Iser's trying to keep it under wraps. He doesn't want a bunch of you know, well,
1: Eisner, Eisner obviously he owns twenty five percent. He could he could be playing both sides. Yes, he could also he could want it, but he true. could also want it sold. That's true. So it either could be way either he, or with him. Right. You know, he wins either way. Right. Maybe, perhaps, especially if he, if he if he if he does indeed want it or would be interested in the card business, he wins either way. And again, our anonymous
0: unnamed source has confirmed to me from the White House that. This is a source inside the White House has confirmed that Eisner uh, – the, the, actually, I think the wording was the assumption over the last several years was that Eisner would do something like this, would buy a majority stake, become a bigger owner of Tops over the last several years. That's kind of been the running um, kind of assumption within Tops is that Eisner himself would become a majority owner. To me, that makes sense. Also, I was gonna say his presence—the fact that he he seems to really like the company—he has plenty of money. This is not something that he's he's trying to you know put you know groom his kids to go run this kind of company. This is just kind of his little little pet toy, is like a little Ferrari that you take out on the weekends. His presence within the company—that means he's gonna. It, he's either going to buy it himself or he's going to find a buyer that will caretake it. And, and if he knows anything about the industry, I don't know if he'll send it off over to Panini or send it off to some other private equity firm that's just going to bleed the company to death.
1: Well, there is one other, if, if we're talking, anytime you bring up, a sports license business for sale you have to mention fanatics i was out here at, in las vegas at the sports licensing and tailgate show and you know i went to one of the they kind of had like an information session and stuff and this, Fanatics is the elephant in the room. Anytime a company like Majestic gets put up for sale, it's gone. Every time a license gets put up, Majestic has it. Uh, I think the MLB, I think all three sports leagues have ownership interests in Fanatics. So Fanatics is, you know, this online kind of sports retailing giant. They even bought a company that we were invested in way back in the day, Dreams, right yeah. off the stock market. I think it, they doubled or tripled our money on that. So, what do you think about a scenario? like fanatics coming in, like they have so oftentimes in the sports space here and buying, obviously they wouldn't want the candy business. That's not something they're into, but they would be another one of these people who if the candy did get off. They would be per- perhaps interested. There's no, I don't have any sources or any type of things, but again, anytime you're talking about sports licensing and something for sale, um, Fanatics has to
0: be mentioned. What do you think about them? I think they make perfect sense because if you go to their website, they have exclusive athletes, so they have athletes that they actually have autograph deals with. So they have merchandise similar to what UDA and Panini Authentic has. The other thing they have are um, they sell sports cards on their site. But the other thing that they sell are almost like repackaged stuff. So they'll they'll pa- repackage or do some team sets or whatever it is. Um, and they actually, I believe they even create kind of their own card, have their exclusive athletes sign it. And then have PSA or BGS kind of slab it. They also, I've seen them even sell, uh, you know, they'll get maybe 100 of somebody's tops rookie, get them to sign it, and then uh, slab it and sell it on their website. So this is a company that's gone uh, somewhat deep into the, you know, deeper into the hobby uh, in terms of some of this product mix than certainly – uh, any company of that size, we're talking about a multi-billion dollar top line company is fan, fan, fanatics. I mean, this is a company to give you an idea of how they've gotten cut into the deals. So if you're not familiar, uh, majestic has made uh, baseball jerseys in the MLB for a long time, uh, for, for a very long time, over 10 years, at least, uh, that deal, uh, got, got taken out of their hands or essentially they got outbid by Under Armour and I believe that contract starts um it was supposed to start in 2020 but now I believe it starts in 2019 and the the into the very interesting part of that deal was um Fanatics got cut into the deal so Fanatics actually gets uh a piece of that deal and what ends up happening is under Armour has to still make the jerseys in Majestic's old factory, which didn't Majestic get sold to Fanatics? Yes. So, Majestic got sold to Fanatics and then what Under Armour bought the license to make the MLB jerseys, but they have to make them at Fanatics Slash Majestic's facility located in the USA. Because obviously, what was Under Armour gonna do? They were gonna go take that to China or Vietnam and make the jerseys for nothing. But the MLB was like, no, 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 no. You're gonna actually make the jerseys still in the United States and you're gonna have to make them at the uh, Fanatics um, facility. And as you know too, Nike has a deal uh, to make jerseys with the NBA and they're they're a quote unquote the exclusive p- provider. But if you go to Fanatics website, what can you buy? A Fanatics branded right. NBA jersey. And so they have a tremendous, I mean you got you, you know Nike paying billions of dollars for the NBA deal. Oh, but Fanatics can make the jersey. So you know their relationship with these leagues runs deeper. than than a lot of things, than uh, than, uh, LaVar Ball's love for his sons. I mean, we're talking deep connections here that Fanatic has. I think that would be a net positive too. Eisner gets it. This guy V gets it. I think that would be awesome. I think it would be run kind of in a unique way if somebody buys it where it's really just like I'm a sports fan, I'm a card fan, and I've just – think it's cool. You know, it's almost like running a sports team. It's just cool to own that kind of thing. Or it's, it's like a sports car. It's just cool to own it. You own a sports car. You're going to be waxing it and, and putting new tires on and tuning the engine and making sure it's in tip top condition. And so if somebody owns looks at tops, like it's a Ferrari, it's a Lamborghini, it's the most rare painting, whatever it is. If they look at that company like that, that would be somebody that I think would be an excellent um matched to for the new card hobby because they put some passion behind it um without looking necessarily to how much money that they were going to extrapolate from it fanatics i think would be looking at it from a business perspective but their ties and their linkage with the leagues is so deep that you got to figure if they get tops in baseball guess what in a couple years tops gonna be making football cards Top's going to be making basketball cards. Top's going to be making whatever cards that they want because that company seems to get the licenses and can secure the licenses and the athletes like no other company, mainly because their pockets um, go down far further than the entire industry combined.
1: Well, another thing they're involved in is they put on a couple of fanatics authentic shows out there at the Rosemont Convention Center where the national yep. gets held every other year. So they're involved, you know, with that as well. So there's, there's certainly, um, you know, again, there's no real confirmation of this, but anytime you're talking sports licensing uh, and something up for s- sale, Fanatics has to be involved. And I think they just signed Aaron Judge to, like, exclusive autograph deal the other day. So he would be an absolute perfect fit. And you're right, they they even released, like, some signed pucks, like first blind signed pucks packs mm. ever and yeah. stuff. So, I mean, they would be a party. They would be a a, a a somebody, if Upper Deck ever came for sale, they would certainly be somebody that that you'd have to think would – would have interest in that business. Well, let me give you one other scenario that could happen. What if everything all falls through and there's no deal How do you, is this like a used car that you couldn't sell? How do you treat that car after you tried to sell it and you couldn't? Like, what, is this the red-headed stepchild? Like, what happens if if now there's a lot of smoke here? We've got, you know, V post a video back in February, you know, saying, hey, I might buy this thing. And here, you know, there's this Bloomberg article saying, hey, you know, this thing's for sale. Somebody come buy the candy business. You've got unconfirmed, unnamed sources saying, hey, Michael Eisner might want to take on this whole thing. Thing. We've got other businesses like Fanatics that $100 million would be a drop in the bucket to them. But what if all this doesn't happen and Tops is left in the same Dearborn hands and at least Eisner's got a little bit of it? What the hell
0: happens that? Um, I think, first of all, I think a lot depends on the candy business. If they can't separate these companies... Um, it might – because the entire business is named Tops. if you sell Tops, the baseball card company, and then you're left with Ring Pop, Bazooka, and some other stuff, you might have uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars in corporate paperwork just to change the name of that company to not have this other entity out there named Tops and Tops Baseball Card. So I could see why they want to sell the candy business first, because you sell the candy business, whoever buys it, renames it as a different group or an LLC or tucks it into Mars or tucks it into Hershey or wh- whoever ends up getting something like that. And then you're left with Tops, the baseball card company. So just from a technicality perspective there, I think a lot depends on what happens to the candy business. Can they find a buyer? How fast did they find a buyer? Um, th- that, to me. Uh, the other thing you have running into is I believe we have a 2020. Uh, this is all, I'm sure, uh, tied to also you have a 2020 license with the MLB that I think expi- I think it expires in 2020. Yep, I don't 2020, know.
1: 2020, if- so, right. And so that negotiation process might happen like at the back end of this year. So for sure. You almost, if you're buying T.O.P.S., you almost have to negotiate a re-up with the MLB simultaneously. Now, if you're somebody like Fanatics, you're owned by the MLB, so you probably can just assume that you're kind of walking right in the door there. But some of these, uh, Gary Vee, uh, a new guy, Eisner maybe can assume business as usual, but it's a new party, a new person, new money coming in, and your license The whole business, the whole card business is tied to this license. Because imagine if they all of a sudden lost the license to Panini or somebody. Tops would turn into Upper Deck. I mean, it would be a ghost town over there i mean they'd have to move to you know back to pennsylvania or something they couldn't have offices in manhattan with a you know unlicensed baseball card company and a star wars license and a garbage pail kids it just wouldn't work i mean you know tops now goes out the door i mean every everything goes out the window tops heritage no more i mean it it just doesn't work and you almost could could kill baseball cards in a sense in, in that respect but really uh you know, this, this whole thing is very interesting to have this article dropped, breaking news style, onto uh, sports card radio here. And uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to follow in the next, you know, how this plays out in the next few weeks, months, and who knows how long this plays out. What do you think, like, you know, when, when you start hearing smoke... About a potential deal with a company. And this is the first real smoke we've heard in a while. We've got two smoke signals. We've got the Gary V video and we have the Bloomberg article. How long do you think it takes before there's either more smoke or a potential deal?
0: Um, it could it depends because you you dated the, the V video in February. We're what now March. My guess is this Bloomberg piece is is behind. So the people that are interested in buying this stuff will already be privy to this. They've been wa- they didn't just wake up, you know, 2 days ago and thought about selling Tops. They've been thinking about it obviously for years, but now they're really they, uh, the, the, the article says they've explored it with bankers. So that's a, the, you know, that's almost like going to a marketing company or you know, that's almost like being single and being like, "Oh, I want to date again." Okay, that's probably where Tops has been the last for a while. But now they've put themselves basically on a dating site, okay? Ooh. And then by going to Bloomberg, you're essentially paying for the like gold subscription or the unlimited <laughs> or unlimited communication on eHarmony. So whatever that is, 39 49 99 a month or whatever. Wow. Uh, being a married man, I have no idea these days what online dating costs. But that's where I think we are in this situation. And I think a big reason is we have this 2020 deal. So somebody has to buy. That's the uh, the other little tricky part about buying tops. Like you said, you have to buy it. You have to come up with however much money it is: 100 million, 80 million, 120 million, 130 million. I think is probably where the company kind of taps out at a valuation perspective. 150 million, if you get some guy in a bidding war with Eisner or something like that max for the company that's not that much money to a guy the uh uber rich guy especially with with investors the next thing he has to do is is commit to another 100 million maybe 150 200 million to the mlb over the next 10 years to secure an exclusive relationship so that takes a you know a left nut and a right nut i mean it's like nothing to these guys to buy a 100 million dollar company But then say, well, over the next 10 years, I've got to fork over another $100 million just for the license to keep the business open. That's a whole nother commitment. And so I think that definitely narrows the range in terms of potential suitors.
1: Well, and, and hope that the license remains exclusive. Like, imagine if in 2020 they were like, oh, well, we'll split it evenly between, you know, Panini and Tops or Company and, X and Tops. And, that's and now it. that changes the whole business.
0: It does. I think a little bit. If we look at the 2007 numbers, the MLB payment was $20 million. Okay. 2008 was $19 million. 2009, I think we're finally winding down where it's just Tops making cars. They were upwards of $17 million. So even. When you had upper deck, I think upper deck and some other companies might even been making cards back in two thousand seven. Um, yes, they were. So it, you know, it, it could be that you bring another player in. It really doesn't. To me, it doesn't. Now the MLB payments are down at ten million, so they've been cut in half essentially. So you could almost assume bring another player in to the market and and a really savvy. Um, person might, might realize this. I don't know if the MLB... I, this could be a whole nother discussion, but the MLB might just want to give it to one person just for a number of different reasons, to bleed them to death. They, they don't care about baseball cards. They don't care about the baseball card market. They, they claim they do in press releases, but they never do by any of their actions. So, they don't care about the baseball card market. They just care about money. And so... I don't know if if somebody else got into the market, I actually think it's debatable whether that would be a bad thing. If you own tops, it might actually be a good thing because mm. it might because it, now you got another company spending, what, two, three million Spend dollars it. a year on marketing. That doesn't just right. help them. Some of that money is going to flow to you. Right. And if your products are really perceived as superior to the other company in the marketplace, that does even more for you just like nike you know nike's been in business for 20 30 30 years now their sales have gone up year after year after year and we've got adidas and puma and under armour and lululemon and all these competitors that come into the marketplace guess what happens to nike they get bigger and so uh, competition not o- o- not always guaranteed to, especially, I think, in this market, in the sports car market, I almost think opening it up would be healthy for the market. That definitely would be healthy um, for the marketplace, but not necessarily negative for the companies, that the companies themselves might benefit um, as much as anybody with, uh, with the combined uh, competition. I don't know if there's two companies out there, quite frankly, that could put up $100 million each, $150 million each for the next 10 years. Based on what Panini has committed, I don't. I don't know if they're ready to to put forth another hundred. Maybe after this this World Cup, I don't know.
1: So to summarize, here we had a breaking news Bloomberg story saying that Tops was for sale. Yes, some numbers were reported in the story that were uh, could be described as a little fishy. Potential suitors involved. Uh, current minority owner and former Disney CEO, Michael Eisner. Uh, YouTube vlogger and motivational speaker, Gary V, who has posted a video of him saying that he has interest and uh, was with a former founder of the Topps company on video on YouTube. And we have a couple other fanatics Panini, and uh, perhaps some other wild card choices there. So, wow. I mean, this is all very interesting, and this is all probably going to play out, at least in private, and maybe 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 Gary Vee will do another video, maybe Michael Eisner will do a video or something, but this is all stuff that's going to play out kind of in the back rooms Over the next weeks or months, or like you said, maybe there's already a deal in place for the cards, and they're waiting for Nestle or Mars or somebody to sweep in and buy this uh, ring pops and bazooka. You got to
0: figure on the cards too. Okay, the MLB is not necessarily going to want to do a deal with somebody that's in limbo. You see what I'm saying? Like, why would they re-up with Tops when Tops doesn't even know who who's going to own the company over the next? Through a few years. So you got to think there's some urgency over at the boardrooms over at TAPS to get a deal done because the key part of the whole business being have any value to anybody is tied to the Major League Baseball license. And if they show up at the meetings with Bloomberg pieces saying, oh, you know, the card business really doesn't make any money. I don't know how, you know, does does Major League Baseball want one of their top licensees out there saying they don't make any money? How do you think the, the MLB is basically in the business of selling its license, selling the license to view the games, selling the license to make the jerseys, selling the tickets, which is essentially a license to come in the game? Major League Baseball is in the business of selling the license, and they've got one of their top licensees saying, oh, yeah, we don't make any money. I don't think that's good for the Major League Baseball. So if that's the position tops comes into a negotiating table with, and like you said, Panini comes over there after a World Cup is over and says, oh, yeah, hey, we got $100 million sitting around. You guys want it? Or a fanatic says, Oh yeah, we'll just start making cards. We'll take it. See ya, tops. We'll let tops crumble. That could be another strategy I could see some of these other guys taking. Well, why would I buy tops right now? Why don't I just buy the MLB license? Let tops go kaput or be after you buy the MLB license, what is tops worth? Ten million bucks, max, not even that. are you driving the price up at that point though if you
1: like compete on the MLB license and then kind of drive the price up for tops like i think i think y- y- there is urgency to buy tops before that negotiating window opens with the MLB which Absolutely. you got to think it is like probably toward the end of the year 20 early 2019 right cuz they did the they did the, the 20, MLB so.
0: jersey. i know the jerseys might be a bigger more logistically complex thing um, that takes a lot more coordination with all the teams and, and with different suppliers and stuff. They did that. They announced that deal. Uh, that was like last years, year, maybe yeah. even two years ago. Yeah. So they've given right. a three to four year headway on the jerseys. You got to think on the cards. It's got. I mean, we can look back when they've announced, but it's usually um, at least a, a year, year and a half, year and a and half, right? two yeah. years, maybe uh, to when the the deal expires. So you got to think. Tops wants to be able to come to the table in a good position with owners that are, are ready to go because that's what, that's what the MLB cares about. They don't care if you make baseball cards cool and everybody collects them or not. They just want their money.
1: Let's get that money, baby. Let's get some money together and
0: buy Tops. Oh, I, I know about 10 million, like I said, I was good. what I was, the other thing I was going to do is let's look at Am- what was Amazon in two, the March of 2007? <laughs> probably 15 dollars a share 20 dollars a share now it's 14 1400. What was Apple you know, right before they released the iPhone? Five bucks, probably yeah. Now, it's 180. What was Nike? What was Starbucks? What was Netflix? There's a lot of investments.
1: Yeah I think that was the kind of thing and there's been some articles floating around the hobby the last few days about kind of taking various sides on the hobby as well as the hobby dying is oh or is is, you know could you invest in cards and make more than you could in the stock market and all this kind of stuff and um, you know we've seen these kind of things uh, float around so for me what the Bloomberg article did is even if the numbers are a little off and I think you know if you really kind of scratched out these numbers they're about the same as they were in 2007 when the company sold I mean that's kind of what we came to that the business is about the same it's about you know if you paid one x sale it's worth about 300 to 400 million dollars maybe there's a hot year here or there but Give or take, it's about in two thousand seven. It was worth you know about three hundred to four hundred million dollars. And today, if you bought the whole enchilada, cards and candy, and digital apps, you're talking about you know three hundred to four hundred million dollars. And the digital apps are viable. I do have an unconfirmed unnamed source that somebody spent fifty one thousand dollars on the Star Wars <laughs> card trader app Jeez. last year. They 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 calculated. They had to do a kind of a year end audit and taxes and all this kind of stuff. They spent. I think it was actually $52,000. It was was over $50,000. Just a little Amber Alert PSA
0: for everybody out there. If you want to spend $51,000 and you're thinking about doing it on an app, call us first, and you'll have a hell of a lot better time for $51,000 than sitting on some app on your computer.
1: you know, people get addicted to these video games. I know people, you know, that spend. Thousands I know a on couple other things I can
0: get addicted to for fifty one thousand dollars, and it's a lot cooler well, than I'm some a, Max.
1: I'm in Vegas, and trust me, there's a lot of things for a lot less than fifty one thousand. You could get yourself into and have quite a good time. <laughs> Okay. Wow. So do we have anything else to discuss about this? Are we done? Or um, are we
0: you know, I think, uh, you know, I think we broke it down from all angles. I think, you know, you look at this uh, article on the surface and you're like, Oh, cool. Uh, the, they're selling the business. Um, but the numbers don't make sense. And so I think that gives you, um, there, there's so many clues and so many things you could assume from that. Because like I said, they claim that the business, well, we actually know from, from published reports that the company's sales really have only grown 20 to 30% over the last 10 years, but they're claiming the gross income from one of their business models has grown 100%. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all, especially in the candy business. Okay, I can understand like the you know, e commerce business. Uh, Where you know, like you're doing, you're in Amazon's business or the payment processing business, like PayPal or something like that. Sure, I could see see you growing your business like that over ten years. Tops hasn't done that. The like you said, the business is basically the same. Um, And I think you were going on on a tangent where you know, is this a sign that the hobby's doing really well? Is it is it a sign that the hobby's uh, dying? Really, I think the new card market in the hobby is about the same. You know, you have some diehard guys that are in there, knowing every photo variation. We call those on this show affectionately the card fondlers, the guys that know every set, that know every card, that remember the cards in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2017s and are basically addicted, okay? You're like the Star Trek app guy, $50,000, you're addicted, And then there's the casual, the mom buying it off Amazon, the mom that has a son, the guy that used to collect and now he's got a son and he throws him a couple packs of cards. You got that buyer as well. And I think those amount of people have stayed about the same. You've lost some. You've gained some. Uh, all in all, it's about equal. I think it, also in terms of sales price, I think you've seen an inflation in terms uh, I mean, I know there were high-end products and, and quite a few high-end products back in 2007. I think you've seen an escalation of that as well.
1: Right. People are spending more. It may even be less people in the hobby, but they're spending more. Right. And it's kind of like some of these niche video games that, you know, hey, if you, if you go stand outside and ask people, you know, a, a thousand people, have they ever played X video game, uh, you know, popular app on the iPhone? They may not have played it, but there's a whole bunch of people who do. And there's, you know, some people spending thousands of thousands of dollars on these games. So, it's you know, cards can be a small group of people spending a lot of money. Um, you know, we, we, see this all the time in, in various niches and, uh, you know, I'm going to go see Pearl Jam. There's a small group of Pearl Jam fans, but they're very loyal and they spend a lot
0: of money. And, the, and I think that so Pearl Jam is a, a, almost a great example. It's like, you know, sports cards are almost like that rock band that was mega popular. The genre of music they played was mega popular 20 years ago. And they're still playing, they're still coming out with albums. They're still touring. Like you said, there's still a group of fans that'll buy the merchandise, go to the shows, get on the websites. that that audio that core audience is is smaller. It's not as broad and have that mass appeal that it was 20 years ago, Kind of like Pearl Jam, kind of like baseball cards. but it doesn't mean that they're dying. doesn't mean just because Pearl Jam doesn't right. sell 20 million 20 million albums doesn't mean they're dead in fact their their career is probably as vibrant uh especially on the touring side as it ever has been um and maybe for any band out there not just in in their genre but any band out there uh could uh, could tour year after year as successfully as pearl jam has so same thing you can say about cards you know is it like the 90s No, is it ever going to be like the 80s and 90s? No, it's never going to get back to that. You're never going to be 20 years old again and be the fresh rock band. Baseball cards aren't going to be that cool thing that everybody is collecting and bringing to school anymore. But doesn't mean there aren't people collecting. There aren't people group breaking. There aren't people buying it casually, building sets, doing all those things, sharing it online, going to card shows. Not to mention the hobby has kind of ex- really expanded. You've got all these years of older cards. You've got vintage cards. You've got um, you know, different kinds of memorabilia, in-person stuff. You've got social media. You've got going to the games. There's a, a lot broader spectrum of things uh, people can do to identify with the players and uh, their teams these days. So it's not going to go back to the golden days and the olden days, no matter who buys tops. But um, it doesn't mean that... uh, Now, I can see some scenarios. Panini buys tops. Some, uh, you know, Chinese group or something like that comes in and buys tops. God knows what Donald Trump is president. If somebody from China or Russia buys tops, uh, say goodbye to the sports card uh, market. So um, or someone from Mexico is probably a bet. If anybody from China or Mexico buys tops, say (laughs) sayonara. Adios. Ching Chong Li uh baseball cards because that shit is gone. My boy Donald wants to build the wall and he's tired of China fucking us. So
1: <laughs> maybe maybe China will make packs fifty cents again. They'll be like, they'll, they'll make again, them fifty right? cents
0: again, but then Trump will do a three hundred and fifty percent tariff on baseball packs. All of a sudden they'd be nine dollars a piece. Be no right. not He'd a good deal. So but there are some scenarios uh, where I could, and and then I'm we're we're definitely kind of mild. I I mean I guess we're mildly joking. I could see. I mean, an Italian company, uh, you know, ended up buying Donruss and Score and, and Pacific and yeah, some of it could these be other brands. some mystery company.
1: Yeah, it could just be some random mystery group that all of a sudden appears out of nowhere. The I think that would be bad.
0: I think, in my yep. opinion, that d- that doesn't sound good. That sounds. That sounds bad. That sounds like recipe for disaster. Because it's not like types as skating on rock-solid ice um, in terms of a lot of things that they're doing. And and they're... they're Well, they
1: haven't really grown since 2000. I mean, it hasn't grown since 07. Right. I mean, you have to go way back further for you to see, like, the... The trend upward in this company growth wise. I mean, it's literally we're on a flat line since oh seven. You know, at least since 07, for, yeah, uh, a year or two, right? I mean, yeah, the payments that the MLB have literally been flat for for years uh, in, in terms of a one license pair. It's about ten million bucks. So we're talking about probably about a hundred million dollars in in card sales, um, give or take, on a yearly basis. So you know yeah we're not talking about a growing company here so if yeah some random company came in and bought it 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 could end badly it could end could badly, end badly.
0: or if too. they don't get the license they kind of bumble a right. sale they're kind of in turmoil kind of limbo as a company and all of a sudden the MLB as well is like well we're going to have to give it to somebody else and that would definitely uh, obviously Ooh. if baseball cards existed and Tops was not making them you would have <laughs> Uh, There would be a meltdown of uh, epic. I mean, Donald Trump could be elected three more times, and people would melt down more if a baseball season arised and Top Series 1 and Heritage hasn't come out yet.
1: People would commit suicide. Like, people literally don't even know what they would do if if there was no tops. Literally, there there are people. We would have to start
0: start a Betty Ford clinic. And we could call it something else, like Betty Tops or something. And that's where you had to come. It would be like a community home where you had to come. Right. If baseball season, it was March 5th, 2020. Opening day was three weeks away, and Heritage and Top Series 1 hasn't come out. Instead, Fanatics pushed out, uh, you know, Fanatics opening season. And uh, – Superstar Prism as uh, its first set.
1: Right, we would have mean, guys on Death
0: watch. watch.
1: Death Watch. They would be. They would be. Remembering the days of Tops quite fondly. Trust me, if some mystery company, and even if Fanatics, because Fanatics would just kind of commercialize it and kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they're not gonna. They're not gonna do anything tremendously wonderful. Let's before we go. Why don't you rank the scenarios? Who would you who would you most rather? Who would you most likely see buy it to least? Terms of viable options.
0: First, I think for me, I'll I'll, first I'll start with the most likely scenario. Uh, To me, I see the most likely scenario as Eisner staying in place and either bringing on a partner, buying it himself. Um, uh, any of those combination, just his value there is enormous just from the experience with negotiating the deals every year. Uh, again, I don't know if he's in the room, but I can imagine, um, having somebody like that on ownership just has immense importance, uh, to a league like the MLB, which makes all its money on television. And Michael Eisner is, you know, being the former CEO of Disney is synonymous With television and entertainment, considering they own Disney movies and ABC, two of the biggest uh, distribution platforms and entertainment companies ever. So I think him staying on board is the most likely scenario and a favorable one. Second one some white knight like this guy v on youtube or just some other guy we i mean there's lots of very i mean you, you were at the transcendent party and i think you said some guy opened up 10 personal boxes or something like that um you know t- right. to be able to do that you've got to have hundreds of millions of dollars like it, like at least you have to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars otherwise you're just I mean, you've got incredible, uh, you know, ability. And these guys aren't selling. It's not like these guys are trying to flip this stuff on eBay. They haven't even really got – they bought 10 personal boxes, pulled the Hank Aaron passes out, and, and got to the rest once, uh, you know, they were done off their private jet and getting uh, get, getting this and that uh, in every city they visit. So I think some guy that is is super rich and has made his money – And now just wants to have fun running a business and probably getting a little bit of Trump tax break and tax benefit from that because I think there's some amortization. I think you can invest in a business and amortize it uh, immediately in the first year instead of depreciating it over five to ten years. So I could totally see somebody buying tops and being like, cool, I'm going to throw a couple hundred million dollars and it's all going to be tax free. So I could see that that would be a favorable scenario um after that i think it gets a little murky i think if fanatics buys it you'd have to wait and see like you said um in some ways it might help the hobby because i think they'd kind of commercialize it get better distribution on it but they in my opinion i think they'd make some cheap uh, a little bit more of the cheap stuff and less of the expensive stuff and so there's some diehard card fondlers that wouldn't like that, that the autograph rookies and all that. Not that Topps is really known for a lot of that stuff, but I think they'd kind of commercialize it a little bit. Not sure they'd they, there'd be the attention to detail there that you'd have for a guy that literally can name you every nook and cranny on a 1983 Topps card. I think having that kind of owner, the guy that, like, knows the, knows the cards and is like a quote unquote card fondler, I think that would be a great scenario. And those people are out there at this price. This is not a $1.3 billion company. This is not a, you know, this is a couple hundred million bucks max. Even after you factor in the MLB license, you're talking about just a couple hundred million dollars. That's, you know, to some guys, that's nothing. That's nothing. Right. That's nothing.
1: Yeah. Not, Especially today's day and age, I mean that's literally right. Like a drop and
0: there's of the people bucket. doing great with Bitcoin. There's people doing great in stocks. There's people doing great in real estate. And after a while, I'll be honest. After ten years of running up real estate, running up stocks, running up Bitcoin, running it up, whatever you've done, you might want to just say, "Hey, I just want to cash out and have fun. Fuck this work shit right. and building stuff up and and really grinding. I just want to own a business and have fun." And so that's where I think tops has, um, a little bit of advantage. I think those would be the golden scenarios again, fanatics, I think would be, um, in my opinion, kind of a medium, uh, to lukewarm scenario where you'd kind of have to wait and see could go either way. could be awesome. could be amazing. They could throw some money at it and throw a lot of, um, you know, create a lot of opportunities, but at the same time, they, they could totally, they could totally screw it up. They could pull a Panini or maybe even worse. And then after, obviously, after we get after that it, it it's a roll of the dice. You get some new buyer in there, who the fuck knows if they if if their first press release is, we want to get kids involved and expand the market, you can guarantee that cards are going to shit. If they buy it and say, "Oh my God, when I was uh, you know, seven years old, I bought nineteen seventy five packs for twenty five cents, chewed the bubble gum, stuck them in my bike, and rode home. You can basically get on your knees and start praising Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself because that would be somebody that you'd probably want to run this business. But again, if it's some Ching Chong guy from China or some uh, <laughs> wow, you know, one of these got border jumpers from Mexico. Oh, wow. Guess what, my boy Donald Trump's going to backhand them back to their home country, <laughs> back to the hell where they came from. What does he say? Trump saying? is from yeah, New I'm York. There, there could the be some Trump connections.
1: Country. You know, we got Bloomberg, we got Jimmy G, we got Eisner, we got Tops, all from New York. Trump's from New York too. I there mean, there could go. be some some Trump now, ties Now, if here. Trump
0: bought Tops, I would definitely be going oh, broke because God. I would support that company. Uh, quite a bit. I would buy every pro. I actually just put a pre-order in, so I'm actually financially tight. I just put in a pre-order for 2018 Topps Chrome Baseball, both a case of jumbo yeah. and a case of regular. So that's I don't know what wow. that is 15, 2000 bucks something like that. It's not that much money, but so I am financially committed here uh, to to the success of this organization. So we'll see. I think it'll be interesting. I think it's an interesting discussion. I think it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is. And, and like you said, we've got the, the 2020 deadline of this renewal on the MLB contract. That's going to push the envelope here. That Unlike other times in the past, as we've talked on this show, we've really started the show a year or two into Topps exclusive. Now we're getting towards the end of it. And that is a key, key, key deadline when you're trying to renew these deals and what we'll I, I think this is the time when we'll really see some some movement and I think it could it it could tip tip the hobby in either direction it could stay exactly the same we could be here 10 years from now and things are pretty much the same it could be in the shitter or it could be a lot better I think um obviously we're not really you know those are all the scenarios that can happen but um a lot of it is going to be based on who ends up with this company, who's the driving force, who sets the vision, who's really excited about it, or who's running it more as a, a, a you know, kind of a licensed cash business, as I think maybe fanatics uh, would, would try to run it as. Or if it's some billionaire who's kind of jet-setting around the world, having fun, um, making baseball cards, I think that would be an interesting scenario as well. That's kind of how Upper Deck was ran for uh, its glory day. So we had a little bit of audio trouble there. But the point I was making, Ryan, is, uh, you know, I was going over some of the scenarios where we could have this kind of jet setter, this guy having fun with the company. And my point was, wasn't that how Richard McWilliams ran Upper Deck? Richard McWilliams was kind of that literally owned a jet company. He seemed like he was kind of jetting around the world, having fun making baseball cards. And that was when Upper Deck was at the top of his game. Uh, I think if we could get a Richard McWilliam type to come into tops, could could electrify things a little bit.
1: That would be... I think that's dream scenario. I think even instead of... A, for me, instead of a recycled Michael Eisner, who's certainly on the back-back half of his kind of illustrious media career, to me, I would much rather have the younger, hipper jet setter rich guy who who came in and this was his toy and uh you know the entertainment factor alone for that would be high that's why when I saw this Jimmy G guy's video or whatever and saw that he has like a thousand videos on YouTube just you know some of them he's like shirtless in his house just kind of motivational speaking I'm like (laughs) wow, this could get real interesting if this cat buys it. Because, I mean, Lord knows, you know, what he might show on video and and how he might try to push the envelope in terms of, you know, cards and access and information. And it could literally blow away things that we've seen or kind of perceived uh, up to this date. So to me, you know, cards have kind of gotten to this place where I don't want to say they're seen as cool again, but there isn't this terrible negative stigma from the 1990s. And as somebody who was myself, who was recently featured in the wall street journal about oh. Thai beanie babies, not another fake news. collectible. Yeah. Not fake news. Uh, Ty beanie babies have this incredible negative stigma about them that they really aren't worth anything and none of them are valuable and it was you know this huge kind of boom bust period uh, you know that, that you know oftentimes beanie babies and bitcoin are mentioned in the same breath yeah. and, and baseball cards were kind of in that same realm for many many years and i feel like we've almost kind of gotten out of that because we've seen the vintage market explode and people have seen some of the high prices for these vintage cards and then we see a guy like Aaron Judge who's from, uh, where is he from again? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's from the 209, the Stockton, California area. And we've seen a guy who, you know, you could pick up his autographs for five or 10 bucks uh, last year before the season. He hits 50 home runs, and all of a sudden, those suckers are worth 500 to 1000 each. Personally, me and you have uh, now, we're ahead in the tops Transcendent uh, party in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Party (laughs) time. Party time, thanks to Mr. 209, Aaron judge so I think some of the negative cloud and negative stigma is away from cards so now I feel like you we the envelope could be pushed a little bit you could have kind of a McWilliam freely wheeling jet setter you know cock pumping owner who <laughs> tries to push this out and make it even more cool than it is and and who knows what will happen at that point I don't I don't know if I would chase kids or and I don't think uh, you know any maybe the perspective Buyers that we've talked about in this show would really push for kids, but you know, I think there's room to make this, you know, a really cool thing. I I get we get texts and DMs every day about people who are buying cards and spending money on cards. And I, you know, I was at the party time, top transcendent party, and again, I met some people who make a lot of money, spend a lot of money on this stuff, and and have no interest in selling it, and, and really do thoroughly enjoy baseball cards, and specifically tops. And uh, there is, uh, you know, we talked all, all, all here hour and a half about valuation and money, and they made this much. There's, there's a value, and I don't know how you place it. There's a value to tops. Oh, absolutely. Because I guarantee oh, you, yeah. if this was fucking Panini Series 1 and Panini fucking Heritage, you guys no would, would be jumping off the fucking bridge. It would be on suicide watch. Death Watch. I mean, the meeting, at, I can just imagine the meeting, the tops meeting at the national, all those people there, the, these people that like literally almost live and die by tops baseball cards. <laughs> if it was Panini Series One and Panini Heritage, they can say all they want. They'd go buy a pack and all this stuff. They'd be dead, Devastated. By a Shotgun blast by middle of February before the fucking <laughs> season started. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. So there's a value to tops. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've seen the the attendance grow at the national conventions. We're not talking about big numbers. We're not talking about Bitcoin. We're not talking about, you know, the the Aria at the Vegas Strip on a Friday night or something, you know, or the Javier's restaurant last night when I'm strolling through there with my little piece. We're not talking about something with explosive growth or kind of explosive movement. But the negative stigma, I feel like, almost is gone a little bit from cards and that there is this positive thing people do remember the 80s and 90s with fondness not now not that oh my Jose Canseco isn't worth anything my Barry Bonds and and Sammy Sosa's aren't worth anymore I got burnt I thought I was going to go to college on my you know 1980s baseball collection and I didn't I think that stigma's gone and I think cards have come I don't want to say cool again, but in some circles they are cool. And people that I that I meet in airports or that I meet randomly all over the place, and I, I start talking to them about baseball cards, the values, the kind of the business and kind of the uh, the marketplace, it does interest them. And the cards themselves, you know, the the fact that there's jerseys and autographs, that 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 does interest them. So you know, I almost you know this is almost like a sales pitch I just made for Tops here. They should put that on the fucking you know when they when they're (laughs) going to sell this company. They should play that clip. Yeah, your
0: boy, your boy Eisner is going to call you up and be like, "Hey, I saw you in the Wall Street Journal. Can you come pitch?" Hey, uh, Jimmy
1: G, (laughs) Mister Eisner, my phone is always open. I'm over here down on the Las Vegas Strip and the Veer Towers, and uh, you know, anytime you want to call, and you know, matters matters of fact, we can actually give out. Uh, there, we actually have a text line.: Wow. Two sports card radio, uh, two sports card radio. It's one of my Vegas burner numbers. If you call, I probably won't pick up, so that's why I say it's a text line. 702, 21,49. Give us a shout. Let us know wow. what you think about the tops being for sale. Maybe read it on the next show or, or the next uh, breaking news article that comes out of Bloomberg. 702, 900. Twenty-one forty-nine. That is the official text line
0: of sports. Wow! Card text into the sports card show podcast. Oh. Let us know who you want to buy. Who you want to buy tops outside of yourself. I know most yes. of you guys would probably want to buy it yourself. I, you know, I know there's some uh, some balling listeners of this show, but um, I would assume the average card fondler out there is not flush with a few hundred mil and some uh, deep connections with the MLB. So, um, and we want you to have money left over. After you buy tops, we want you to have a little bit of money left over so you can actually put a little bit of money into the business because it's definitely not one of these businesses that is spitting out tons of cash and women and boats and yachts and private jets and uh, front row tickets courtside to the Lakers. But certainly would be exciting if we get that kind of showtime back into – Baseball cards and, hey, you never know, new owners might mean the NBA or the NFL or some other license comes back open, which would also be uh, kind of an exciting time. So I really think... um, there, you know, we've, I think we actually did a good job of kind of focusing on the positive scenarios. So this could have been for everybody that accuses of, of being doom and gloom and being bad for the hobby. Can't tell you how many, if I got a dollar for every time I said, someone said I was bad for the hobby, I'd be bidding for tops right now myself. Um, so as often as we're accused of that, I thought we did a nice job on today's show Focusing on the positive outcomes because there are plenty, plenty of doom and gloom scenarios, not just somebody from China or somebody from Mexico coming in and taking uh, America's greatest card company offshore onto foreign soil where they get the hell out of this country and they're not invested in making cards or America great again that would be a terrible terrible sad outcome but there are a lot I, you know there's other scenarios too that could be very that could be very bad i, I think an, another like I think actually a, a scenario I could see likely is tops blunders a, a sale and somebody else ends up with a license oh that that to me would be that that tops doesn't get sold and somebody else gets the license that would be you know again we'd have to we would not only need a text line we need uh you know a direct line to your house with a stretcher and a cardiac arrest machine to to resuscitate you uh, this would be ha- 90% of our listeners would be on cardiac arrest if Topps does not get the MLB license and somebody else does, especially yeah, you somebody like Pinetree,
1: fifteen to kill people. I mean, literally, people <laughs> would be reaching for knives just to stab themselves and slitting their wrist and shit. Like these guys would literally, and they don't even understand. Like I, I see it. I, I, you know, I, I travel around. and I try to observe. If Topps lost the baseball card license and stopped making baseball cards, mm. that would be absolutely fucking devastating. I could not, you know, I could not emphasize that any more strongly.
0: It would be bad. I think that would be one of the worst scenarios because it would be bad across the board. It affects obviously the new card market considering they're not making any cards but i think it also affects the heritage and kind of tarnishes the brand in which uh uh, you know impacts the the older card market whether you're going all the way back into the 60s but certainly the 70s 80s and 90s and and more current day stuff i think you'd see um you know weaning weaning a brand recognition brand demand, uh, over the years for something like that, uh, would just be devastating. It it would just be, it'd be de- I mean, people would all, you know, fondly look back on the cards and, and obviously still collect them, but sure would take a lot of steam off, uh, off the hobby if uh, something like that happened. So Again, I don't want to necessarily focus on a lot of the negative things, but I do want to emphasize we did focus on a lot of the positive and a lot of the good scenarios, but over the next, you know, 6 to 12 months, 12 to 18 months, you know, it's not like we're, you know, again, it's not like we're skating on solid ice here, a big block of ice. Everybody in this hobby is skating on thin ice, and if it goes one way, uh, and, and it gets it gets ugly, uh, th- that would be bad for, for a lot of people. This podcast, a lot of people out there that are more financially tied to the hobby, it would not be uh, a favorable thing. But there's a lot of scenarios at the same sentence, a lot of scenarios that would be extraordinarily favorable for the hobby and the, the health of the industry. And uh, hopefully, I, I think we're more hopeful if we were bad for the hobby and we were negative, we'd be praying that... Uh, uh, that, uh, you know, some, again, some company from China comes in and buys it. Some company from Mexico buys it, or Panini buys it, or Fanatics buys it and shuts it down and kind of, you know, only releases this base card stuff.
1: Um, well, sure. Also, we we would have believed the Bloomberg article that basically trashed the card business and said, hey, the real business is this candy thing that you really want over here. Hey, this card business, nah, whatever. I mean, we didn't you know, necessarily take that at face value, kind of looked into it, looked back at the 07 numbers, you have your unnamed, unconfirmed, um, but in the White House sources exactly. that's that suggested some other numbers and, and actually quoted some real uh, hard numbers that kind of, Showed otherwise that this is a company that probably does make it just doesn't make the numbers.
0: The numbers just don't make sense if they make four right. if they make 400 million dollars, which is only 20 million dollars more, actually, it's about 70 million dollars more than they made in 2007. Why would the candy business have doubled its, have doubled, its gross margin? Right. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, you, make, you any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You went from 330 in net sales to 400, and you went from 20 to 20 of gross income split between cards and cards, literally each of them were about $20 million. But, oh, st- 10 years later, all of a sudden candy's grown to a $40 million business, but your top line's only grown, what, 30%? That doesn't, not even that, like 25%, that doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense in any scenario, especially in the economy uh, that we've been in. Candy hasn't been red hot. So it doesn't make any sense. The numbers don't make sense, so that means there's a lot of, there's a lot of smoke here, and I think it could mean a lot of things. I, I honestly think a deal could be done. This right. oh, this That's this it, article yeah. was almost the written hate. like it's not for sale. Right, the card company is not for sale because one, not it doesn't for make sale any the money. Candy is, yes. but the right. candy is yes. candy goes first,
1: and it goes first because you already on the back end have Howard Eisner and maybe V and maybe some other people who are already right. like, hey, I'm gonna g- I'll give you seventy five hundred million no matter what, but I'm not, I'm not doing ring pops. See, whereas tops is probably like, no, we want to sell you the whole thing and make them do that separate transaction. Whereas I bet that we're at this kind of point where it's like the potential card buyers are like, no, we're not taking the candy business. Whereas probably this whole tops this time tops is like, no, 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 take the whole thing here. No, no, no. You take the whole thing. We're going to give you a really good deal. It's gonna be a great combo deal. Whereas the buyer's are like, no, 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 no. No, I just want
0: no. I just want to run Get rid yeah, of the I just want the Ferrari. I don't want the Ferrari and right. the, the Benz, you know, the the four seat right. Benz. I just want the two seat Ferrari, which is the tops company, which, you know, could make money, it could not, but really, you know, it, I see it more as a pet pet, you know, a pet project, kind of a a fun thing to own. Not necessarily as cool as a, a sports team. But in that same realm, um to these guys who have the Ferraris, have the mansions, now it's this is some other way I have fun. This is how I connect to myself when I was you know thirty years younger. You know I date blondes that are thirty years younger, and I own companies that remind me of when I was forty years younger.
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, I didn't say anything. Being that from wrong Vegas, there. I. I, I see that quite often. Yeah. I got I got one little Vegas. Should I should we do one Vegas story and then be out? Sure. Yes. Okay. So you know you, you know when you walk into Javier's or whatever, and there's a, you kind of walk into the back toward that wood sculpture or whatever, yeah. and all the people. So I'm walking in last night with my date, and I swear to God, every single guy checked out it was like the girl I was with. and earth. I swear, I was like. Almost on cloud nine. Wow. Like, I was like, at you. wow, did I hit the fucking jackpot last night? So, you know, uh, needless to say, moving out to the strip, probably a pretty good decision, especially after last night walking through Javier's on a uh, unusually busy Sunday night in uh, Las Vegas. But I uh, haven't had that experience, I don't know in how long that all these motherfucking guys were looking at the girl. I was with. So, uh, needless to say, I felt like I was worth about fucking $400 million last
0: night. Wow. How much did you have to pay her? <laughs> <laughs> what was it that's per uh, hour? What was uh, her hourly uh, rate? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was, uh, you know, probably more than a Series 1 and a Heritage box. I don't know what those boxes <laughs> cost nowadays, but I'm going to say I probably spent more than that last night. Well,
0: I say that. I don't know. Uh, Sounds like I might it might be a little more fun than a, a heritage box. You can always buy it, you know. It's like one of those things. Um, you know, ten years later, you'll be able to take that same girl out and spend half as much and get to the same base. <laughs> but on a heritage box, you only gotta wait uh, another six to eight months. I mean, they've got to go down and. I mean, maybe it's this Otani guy. Um, you know, I, I gotta figure this guy's gonna get hurt, like. How's this guy? This guy's not gonna stay healthy. Mm. If he's pitching and I think he has one hit so far. Like I I don't know if he's I haven't checked the
1: stats, but I don't I don't know if he's really been tearing it up or not.
0: Okay. I haven't either, but I've heard he pitches any any bats. That means he's gonna get hurt. If he tries that, right, (laughs) he's gonna get hurt, guaranteed. And so uh that's gonna put you know, especially if it's something like Tommy John or something like our rotator cuff or whatever. Uh that's going to put a kibosh on any of these uh, boxes. So you could almost wait. And, uh, you know, and, and that's why it's kind of a risk pre-ordering this stuff. You know, it doesn't come out for four months. And I recall even with Strasburg, everybody was like, you know, this is a home run deal. This is a home run product. And towards the end of the year, after he had gotten hurt, that shit – was bare you know. Yeah,
1: 2010 Bowman Chrome was like one of the worst yeah. bloodbaths in the history of blood baths. Yeah. I mean it was it was on par with like 2014 Topps Chrome yeah. football or something. They really that got, need got, some, got all the way down to like twenty-five death. a box at some point Yeah, or something ridiculous.
0: So we need some other rookies. So I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure the prospectors and stuff like that. Um, um you know, are out there, and I've heard that the the class is a little deeper than this one guy, um, and then that actually might be the opportunity out there. Is why this guy's getting all the attention. There's actually other guys you should be buying, and so sure. um, hopefully that emerges over the the course of the year, and hopefully we get a buyer for tops over the course of this. Uh, you know, again, I think this Bloomberg article is behind. Uh, you know, th- this what this is looking. You know. You know, three, four, you know, three, four, five weeks ago, maybe even three, four, five months ago, um, we might even be towards the final stages uh, uh, of finding a suitor. This is one last, one last attempt to maybe find some other buyer, some other White Knight buyer. But I definitely believe the way this piece is worded, the the candy company is one hundred and thousand percent for sale, and they literally tell you in the article how much it's for sale for because if you're in the candy business and you know how much a candy business earns and you know how much the company is asking for the company you know whether that's a good deal or not i don't know what the multiple people pay on candy companies if it's one times two times three times whatever it is but they basically told you in this article if you believe the 40 million dollar article a 40 million dollar figure they put on the earnings so the candy business is for sale i don't know if the Card business is necessarily, uh, if that deal could already be done. Because it totally talks that down and um, basically makes it seem like it's this crap business that's gonna be sold second. So to me, that, that tells me there could be some really exciting things in the work, could be exciting or a disaster. And that's what makes, um, at least from my position, not being a card fondler makes it, although we do have a uh, couple thousand dollars with Aaron Judge cards, or we did. Um, yeah,
1: you've been fondling some Aaron Judge cards the last few days, so
0: yeah. Very quickly, Sweet. trust me, very quickly, in and out the door um, as fast as possible with these uh, damn Aaron Judge cards. So much rather have money in my, my bank account than uh, pieces of cardboard sitting in a box. that's for sure.
1: I'd rather be going to Javier's on a Sunday night with a 19-year-old uh,
0: <laughs> than having cards in a in a box. I know that. Well, well, I mean I have a 1-year-old and a and a wife, so my my joy's come you know in other forms these days. Uh, so I do get a lot of compliments on my watch. I will say that. So there's been the watch is nice. The watch, the is, watch is nice. So, you know you can't afford you can't afford the a, a, a tie. I can't afford the tops company. I can't afford to live in a, in Las Vegas. But um, you got to pick your pick your spots these days. Especially out here in California, we're giving uh, you know ninety percent of our money to illegals and these people that could work and don't. So gotta got put your money. Gotta hide your assets uh, as best as possible out here. That's for damn sure. Or put them on your. Weed's legal now, so <laughs> weed's
1: legal now. Everything's legal there, you know. If you're illegal, you're illegal. If weed's legal, so I mean, everything's, yeah. And the, know, mayor, no yeah, the mayor, yeah, the mayor will.
0: If you're illegal and you shouldn't be there, the mayor well, yeah, you will tell could you get money. No, now if you live in Stockton, you get five hundred a month yeah, for free. You get five hundred a month for free in Stockton. Right. And then the mayor has like a criminal <laughs> program too, where he like gives criminals money. There's like literally a program he wow. set up where he gives criminals money. Well, so there's just. It's amazing amazing maybe from maybe from someone from stockton will buy tops and
1: maybe maybe yeah from universal basic income yeah. they just save up and buy tops.
0: exactly they'll, they'll sell their their two-bedroom <laughs> in the on wilson and go buy tops because all the government money they've gotten over the last three four five years
1: Certainly wouldn't shock me. I
0: know that for a <laughs> fact. <laughs> I don't know if that would be good or bad for the hobby. It could, could go. That definitely is one that could go either way. But um, I think we've explored all the options here on the Sports Card Show podcast. Again, Tops, Amber Alert. Tops is for sale. And if they get sold to the wrong buyer, Amber Alert. We have a phone. Give us the number one more time. Do you got it up?
1: We have the number up. Uh You're going to want to text this number if if you're feeling a little squeamish, (laughs) if you're feeling a little worried out there, that maybe your beloved Topps company will end up in the wrong hands. Please give us a text, 702-900-2149. Again, that exclusive sports card radio number. Text only, do not call, because I'll probably be in Javier's with a very attractive uh, (laughs) young lady. Text only 702 900 And that is for all of your questions and concerns regarding this top sale. Again, if you're on suicide watch, put the AR-15 in the safe. Lock the door and throw away the fucking key. Because if Panini or some, <laughs> these are your words, these are not my words, a, quote, ching-chong company <laughs> or someone from, quote, The border, or Mexico, bought it. You guys will be on Suicide Watch. Half the people I follow on Twitter would be on Suicide Watch. Every single card store should be on Suicide Watch. Believe me, as much as you love Panini, the people I run into in shows and across the uh, country... Oh, man. They could give a fuck about Panini. If I walked through, basically walking through Javier's with Tops, all the guys are going to look.
0: Walking <laughs> through
1: Javier's with Panini, Ugh. you ain't going to get no fucking looks. Ugh. So trust me, you would much rather Tops stay true to its brand and either pick up some fanboy ownership from this Jimmy G guy or maybe Michael Eisner uh, ponies up for the rest of the 75%.
0: One thing that I mean, get that girl like marketing for tops. I think that's I mean, talk about bringing the hobby back. That would be an excellent way uh, to get the guys' eyes and ears on the on the hobby, what it's doing today. But um, wow, so we've gone from tops for sale to 19-year-olds at Javier's to <laughs> Ching Chong's jumping the border. It's been a full encompassing few hours maybe at this point two hours on the sports card show podcast um but i believe time has come and gone and uh but never fear we'll be back some other time maybe when this deal has been done and completed but until then we will see you some other time some other place you will see us either in Las Vegas or in California. But until then, we are out of here. Peace.